there is in fact a dark side of artificial intelligence. Uh, although we're certainly not at the point where we have to fear terminators or uh, other kinds of strong AI equivalents, uh, there are certainly leveraged uses of artificial intelligence towards malicious aims in a business context. Uh, in data security, it's uh, well known and in fact there's tremendous venture dollars going into preventing fraud and theft and uh, other in info security threats with artificial intelligence. But AI is also being used by the quote unquote bad guys to try to steal those passwords, to try to steal that information, to try to break into those systems. Um, this week on the podcast, we have Justin Fire, who is the director of cyber intelligence at Darktrace. Darktrace is originally a UK based firm. They now also have uh, sort of a second headquarters here in San Francisco as well. Very well funded, very fast growing company in this particular space. Uh, an exciting company to have on the show. And I think the topic is relatively unique, and that is the malicious uses of artificial intelligence and how companies like Darktrace are being forced to fight them. We've never really had this particular perspective. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this one. This is Justin with Darktrace. So, Justin, we've had a lot of uh, security folks on the podcast in the last, let's say, six months or so. There's a lot of investment going into this space. You guys have obviously raised a number of rounds uh, at Darktrace, and now you're both here in, in San Fran as well as in the UK. We've talked a lot about how AI is being used to sort of fight the malicious efforts in info security. But I know AI is also part of the malicious efforts, if I'm not mistaken. We have examples of spear phishing and, and other sorts of uh, malicious uses of artificial intelligence. I wondered if you could give us kind of a tour of what those breeds of malicious AI are that that folks like you are out there fighting. Sure. So you know, the first thing I, I'd like to always, you know, kind of start with is that you know, artificial intelligence is not truly here yet. You know, we we hear it mixed with the term machine learning quite a bit. Machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence, which is, you know, the the study or the machine actually doing all the heavy lifting and numbers crunching. Um, and I think that's where we're starting to see it. And I think that's where things are certainly moving. What I think we have seen so far and we're going to continue to see is, you know, like as you mentioned before, attackers using spear phishing campaigns um, with machine learning. We just recently actually saw a campaign where after gaining access to a user's email, the program, you know, looked for keywords, file names, language, uh, types, the, the way the person types and speaks and crafted wow. emails for their contacts based around that because it gave them more of a chance of getting a click on the other end. And I think that's kind of sets the framework of where we're going to see machine learning move in the malicious hemisphere, you know, using, you know, the machine to determine patterns of life, uh, you know. Uh, really intricate ways to move around internally on the network while going uh, undetected. Huh. And now this is this is curious indeed. So so modeling. Now this is not a person going about this process. This is a, a sort of an AI system in some way, shape, or form, sort of garnering uh, with natural language processing the feel and flavor of someone's emails, and then using those, crafting some sort of general template to be coherent with that feel or flavor and then asking for passwords or access or what have you um, from the contacts that are connected to that to that email. Were you referring to this being done by a system and not by a person? Uh, parts of it, yes, by the system. I think we're going to move over to the fully automated 
uh, realm in the next, you know, few months, year. Uh, you know, as as with anything, you know, the market space moves with, uh, you know, uh, the technology. And, and as we've already talked about, machine learning and artificial intelligence is the latest buzzword. It's the craze. And it's only to be expected that malicious actors are going to start incorporating that technology into uh, the way they work as well. Uh, you know, another thing that we have seen is, you know, malware that gets deployed on a network, you know, just sits dormant and it watches and it learns and it studies the people. It learns how they operate on their machines. And by doing that, it can blend in with the users and it won't necessarily stand out to other legacy systems as a piece of malicious software. Um, and it can make a decision, a judgment, when to potentially reach back out to command and control or exfiltrate data out You know, at the right precise time and heighten the noise amongst all the other people. So uh, we've already seen some cases of that uh, with some of the polymorphic malware out there uh, and other variants. I, I like to I like to get hip with the terms here, Justin. You're certainly much deeper in this particular realm of artificial intelligence than I. You used polymorphic. Is this sort of a generic term in the infosec space? And and how do we define that? Is is this is it specifically classed among the type of attacks that you were just referring to, or is it a bit of a broader term? I'm very interested. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a broader, and it's actually been around for a while. You know, it's simply malware that you know can change itself based off of a variable uh, you know that it detects. You know, so if it detects that it's in a sandbox, you know, or a virtual environment, it might just delete itself and not move forward. You know, and I wouldn't even really call that artificial intelligence. I think that's the very beginnings you know, kind of the stone age of where it's heading, you know, malware that gets deployed and then has to think for itself and make decisions about its environment in order to accomplish its mission. Um, so, you know, in, in essence, we've already seen it and I think it's just going to get way more complex than it already is. Yeah. Okay. So let's, yeah, maybe we could dive into a few of these sort of examples because I'm, I'm very interested in this domain. When you talked initially about a machine that can get access to an email account and then garner enough information about the style, the, the, the cadence, the flavor of emails that this person writes as to maybe build, like this is actually quite common now. I think there's a ton of Gmail extensions that have this um, where you can determine the likelihood of an email being responded to based on various factors gleaned from your other response rates from other emails for this contact or contacts like them. And you can get some kind of a score as to how likely you are to get a to get a response, sure. maybe similar systems could be used in the malicious context for kind of garnering likelihood of response, but also maybe for scoring how in line with the, the voice and the language of the person whose email we've hacked we are. So, hey, this sounds exactly like Susan. Great. Send this one. You know, hey, this, this is not the kind of language she would ever use here. Here's the words I would replace this with. Is this the, the sort of thing that, that you think is either sort of in the works on some low level or maybe to be expected in the future as people start to continue to try to engineer these malicious systems? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, everything you're describing is not new technology. You know, the marketing and advertising space has been using that technology for the last couple of years now, you know, uh, monitoring sentiment among people. Um, I think it's just a matter, you know, it, we've gotten to the point now where malware, uh, you know, uh, writers have figured out how to use that. I think there's also a bit of a, I don't want to say confusion, but a, a thought that, you know, machine learning has to be done by, you know, big data centers and massive computers. 
which is not the case. You know, it can be run as a silent process in the background of your computer. You know, uh, at the end of the day, really, what machine learning is just looking at data. It's it's kind of the replacement for the big data buzzword that's been around for the last couple of years. You know, and it's really just an efficient way of calling through data and making a decision based off that. The two biggest things I think, you know, to define is the difference between supervised and unsupervised uh, machine learning, which is which is where dark trace kind of differs uh, from a lot of the other technologies out there. But uh, I think we're going to start moving into that world of that unsupervised piece where it just gets deployed and it does its uh, does its own thing. And to in, in my professional opinion, that's probably the truest form of artificial intelligence. A machine that's fully unsupervised is not getting any prior help. It is not getting any training data. It just is deployed. It, it learns from the get-go and it makes a decision. So really, if you think about it, sky's the limit when it comes to malware. Um, you could even adopt the model to ransomware, you know, deciding which file shares to lock down versus other file shares. Instead of locking everything down, I'm only going to lock down some, which will fly under the radar a little bit more uh, than, than we've seen in the past. So could apply this technology dozens of different ways, uh, which is kind of scary. Yeah, no, and of course, I, I, it's, it's interesting for me to hear the kinds of dozens of ways that you've seen. You know, it sounds like one example is modeling the communication of, of the people who you are sort of, you know, taking over the accounts of. The other one is determining the patterns of traffic within a network to say, okay, well, during these hours, people are normally accessing this software, and during this time of the month, there's a lot of exports of this kind of data. If I'm using this kind of a user account during this time of the month, it's extremely unlikely that anybody's going to see that as me doing something uh, malicious. It's, it's extremely likely that, that that's just going to blend in with that pattern and cadence at that time. So you don't want to attack right away, but after kind of tuning in to the activity, um, you can figure out, uh, or the machine itself can figure out when is the right time to time its its activities. Um, I wonder, uh, Justin, if you could paint that picture in maybe a real business context. I think the the notion of paying attention to a network of you know uh, stealing hypothetical information without kind of a story painted to it, an example painted to it, does seem a lot like abstractions. I think for people who aren't in info security, can can you give us an example of kind of what a network looks like and is made of and what that activity is like and, and, and what a malicious actor might want to steal in these kind of circumstances. You, you've obviously worked with enough clients in varied industries. You know, some people might assume, oh, well, it must just be credit card data, right? Some people might assume, oh, it might be uh, customer information that's really sensitive that they can use for blackmail. You know, I'm, I'm interested in, in you know, an, an example that maybe you would see as realistic or that maybe you've seen a lot of just so we can put some color to these, these uh, kind of hypothetical examples. Sure, sure. Uh, so, you know, I, I would first say, regardless of the size of the network, you know, at the end of the day, all your network really is, is a big data set. It's a massive data set. Where it really gets complex is the fact that your data set is constantly changing. It's changing every second, hundreds of times. It's growing, it's shrinking. Um, and, and that's really where, you know, Darktrace, for example, got the idea of building what we call the enterprise immune system. We wanted to approach security from the immune system approach because we realize every network's different. It acts different. It acts as a living organism. Um, so the challenge with a lot of uh, networks these days is just monitoring all those different pieces. The smallest organization could still have a couple thousand endpoints. 
And the question there is, how do I monitor all of them? How do I verify if they're if they're acting in a normal way, the way they should? At the end of the day, a malicious actor is going to try to exploit something to do to to do something in, on his behalf, and and most of the time, it's going to stand out amongst uh, other devices on the network. And it's finding those subtleties. You know, as technology gets better, they've gotten so much better about being. St- on the network. And it's gotten much harder in this day and age to find those anomalies. It truly is a needle in a haystack. Um, And so that's why we took, you know, machine learning and and applied it to security. Um, And and I come back to what I mentioned earlier, the unsupervised piece, you know, that's key, not relying on rules and signatures, you know, not relying on the known, but truly just watching everything and letting the machine make a decision for you. We've, we've seen, you know, and you, you, you mentioned about industries, you know, every industry's got different priorities. Hospitals are very concerned with HIPAA violations and patient data. Banks are concerned with uh, making sure all their data is encrypted and compliant. Uh, manufacturing and industrial control systems, they all have very different priorities. But at the end of the day, they all have the same problem. Their network is so complex and big. One of our larger clients has over half a billion endpoint devices. And we're still able to find a random computer doing something that it doesn't normally do. And and the key here is is also not necessarily just looking for malicious activity, but looking for anomalous activity. Because anomalous activity doesn't necessarily just have to be malicious. It could be a misconfiguration. It could be an employee or an insider threat doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. Um, So, you know, these are a lot of the problems I'm seeing on a day-to-day basis. And what I see across the board, across all industries with all of our clients is just the sheer amount of data that they're trying to process with the billions of lines of log files, the log aggregators, you know, and a lot of them are running very lean uh, security teams. It is still very tough to find a good security practitioner. So, uh, that's really where unsupervised machine learning, I think, is, uh, you know, entered the mainstream and, and is really, uh, they're starting to see the value in it. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think we could conceivably solve this problem without uh, unsupervised learning, to the best of my knowledge. I mean, there might be some environments where supervised alone will cut it. You know, if, if, you, if you know where all the information's coming from and what all the inputs are and the data comes in real clean and in a sort of a predictable way and you know there there really aren't wacky varieties outside of sort of you know containable series and stream of of information um maybe you can simply leverage sort of the known uh in order to optimize the future but but in this domain i mean you have you know teams of 100 guys in the ukraine uh, really actively trying to get in there, uh, and and there's going to be new and completely unforeseen strategies that you obviously have to be prepared for. These are these are not static systems that so long as you can control and know where all the data is coming from, now you understand reality. It's like nope, uh, we have antagonists, and so we we can't rely on the known. So I I think your argument is you know very tough to refute there, and I think a lot of people would agree with you. Um, j- just again to try to get a little bit of color on it, and, and you may not be able to name names, and that's fine. But I'm I'm trying to think of what's an example of this look like. Also, when you said endpoints, Justin, just clarity for the listeners. An endpoint sure. is you know a cell phone, a tablet, a desktop, a laptop. 
where humans are you know, entering information and interacting with the network in and of itself. Is this the correct definition of an endpoint? I want to make sure that the audience is sort of up to par, uh, even if they're not hip to the jargon. Sure. Uh, it is, but it isn't. Sorry to give you that uh, political answer. Um, I'm, unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I, I believe that the industry is still very much hyper-focused on the desktop server model. So, you know, it depends who you ask, but most would classify endpoint as that desktop or that server. You know, it's starting to change as we allow more of the bring your own device, the IoT, um, all these other devices uh, that are out there on the networks. And so I would classify an endpoint just as you said it, anything with an IP address that's accepting and outputting data. But it really depends who you ask in the industry what that means. I think as we move forward from here on out, uh, you, you have to consider an endpoint, anything with an IP address for the most part, um, you know, on your yeah. network. And, and you'd be surprised, you know, when we deploy on a lot of our networks, I always ask clients, you know, how many devices do you expect to see on the network? And the answer is always 25 to 30 percent below what we actually find. Because, you know, they're not accounting for all of the smart TVs in the conference rooms and the thermostats and all the bring your own devices, or even just the rogue developers that have entire product, you know, development lands, you know, built underneath their desks. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think that's how we have to approach endpoint moving forward, you know, everything uh, on the net, uh, you know, uh, conducting some sort of activity. Got it. Yeah, um, that, that that seems smartest. I mean, if if it's an opportunity for a breach, you know, it seems like a really poor choice not to include it. As as it was, uh, but, but what you're saying is some people define endpoints in the traditional way. You guys and and maybe the the industry in the future is going to be really considering anything with an IP address. And and these are obviously places where entrance sort of occurs, right? Where where a breach can can initially occur. Absolutely. I mean. You know, hackers are very, are some of the most creative people in the world. You know, if they can't get in through the desktop anymore, they're going to find another way to get in. Um, you know, and and as we've seen just in the last couple months, uh, IoT, for instance, is a you know wild wild west of you know network devices, many with little to no security uh, built in. For the most part, it's been isolated to mostly residential devices, but I think it's only a matter of time before that moves into the enterprise and we start to see some of those devices get exploited. Uh, that's really also why Darktrace took the approach and we want to look at everything. So when we look at a network, we look at everything with an IP address, which is why we designed a system that doesn't require running an agent on the endpoint. Um, really, it's just if it shows up on the uh, network and it's got an IP address, we're going to model its activity. And that's absolutely key as well, just knowing where the data is moving around uh, laterally and vertically on the network. And, and so let's, let's again, just put to, to, wrap, to wrap the topic, and, and before we close out, I want to make sure that, that I can really get a, an idea of uh, what this sort of malicious AI would look like in real time and what we'd be trying to do in real time for the people who might not be in info security uh, but might speak with the folks in that department on a regular basis or might need to hire a team in that in that space just to to again add some color here you know we talked about some malicious software entering a system uh sort of sitting back and and listening into uh the various and sundry behaviors of that system and then deciding how to act in order to take some information uh, to the best of my knowledge uh and this is a, a newbie's perspective 
you know, maybe you're a local bank or credit union in some random town in Wisconsin, and you know, some somebody finds a way to get into one of your computers. How I'm not sure. You would you would have to inform me. Uh, and 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 when they do, uh, this this malware maybe sits on that particular computer's uh, like a server somewhere or or on its hard drive somewhere and listens to some kind of information. I don't know. You would have to inform me. And then goes about stealing some kind of information. Uh, like maybe let's say I don't know uh, bank account numbers or or something like that. How all those interchanges happen and what that what that sort of painted picture looks like in words. Um, I, I'm not all that able to to paint well, but I imagine maybe you could. Could you walk us through what a real sort of breach looks like and what's actually happening when when this malicious sort of AI uh, attacks? Sure. We well we we actually already saw one. Um, you know, in 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 a particular case we. Uh, we're on a machine, uh, you know, uh, for one of our clients, uh, or it, we were in a network, and and we saw a machine acting anomalously compared to a number of different factors. You know, we look at the mach- we look at everything from a micro and a macro level. So the machine was acting strangely for itself. It was acting strangely for the entire network. It was acting strangely for other peer devices that are similar to itself and how it operates. And so from that, we were alerted to some some really odd activity, you know, some so really strange. Just, just to not to uh, not to, to cut the story, but just just to get well, it, a picture of what anomalously looks like what, in my head, right in my imagination. I'm, I'm trying to be the imagination of my listener as well. Um, OK, uh, I'm opening programs I don't normally open. OK, I'm downloading more than I normally download. OK, I'm active for longer hours than I'm normally active. Like what constitutes what are what are the various and sundry things that that could be measured? Of course, the laundry list is very long, but if if you mention different than other devices, different than the network in general, you know, not not to reveal the whole secret sauce here, but two or three things. I mean, what, what's kind of getting measured here? Sure. Oh, I mean, you, yeah, I think you kind of already nailed it on the head. You know, everything from how rare is the destination that you know the data is going out to in comparison to oh. you know the machine itself, the entire network peer devices around it, what type of protocol is being used? Does the machine normally use that protocol? Does it normally use that protocol with that destination? Uh, even down to the size of the packets, you know, is that size of packet strange for that type of protocol? You know, y- y- you nailed it on the head. We could look at hundreds of different metrics in, and that's where the unsupervised piece comes in, you know, applying really sophisticated mathematical algorithms to decide you know, how anomalous is this? Is this truly anomalous based on all these different factors? A human being couldn't do that. Uh, but no, a, no a machine uh, is the best thing to do that. And, and so what we discovered in this particular network was this system had been compromised. And, you know, instead of just, you know, all of it, all right away, contacting command and control, getting instructions, exfilling data out, it just sat there and it watched and it learned and it tried to blend in and it moved around throughout the network and it did a really good job. And, you know, despite the fact that it was using, you know, in our opinion, a kind of version of machine learning in and of itself, uh, we were still able to find it because, uh, you know, it truly was that needle in the haystack uh, that a human eye just would not have found uh, looking at logs. And Um, and without, without uh, going into who the company was, Justin, uh, or, or any, any details that, that you guys would be uncomfortable with just to get an idea, what could or would have been stolen in this circumstance and, and why, you know what I mean? Like, like I I think a lot of folks think, 
Well, you know, I don't have that many credit card records on file, and you know, those are pretty well protected, so that's kind of what I need to protect. Obviously, info security is about more than credit card data. Right. Talk, talk to me about maybe this circumstance broadly, you know, industry-wise, what, what could or would have been stolen and, and why, because um, I think that'll open up the thought process of the listener as to sort of what things are valuable to malicious actors. Sure, sure. Uh, in this particular case, uh, I believe it was a manufacturing company. So I would suspect, you know, uh, you know, their intellectual property is manufacturing process, you know, materials, etc. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, every industry is different. I mean, we, we even saw a large restaurant food uh, chain using a rather insecure protocol to monitor all the refrigeration units across, you know, uh, the many different franchises. And even though we didn't see truly anomalous behavior, we brought to their attention how damaging that could be if somebody was potentially able to manipulate that data. So every industry really does have a different priority, something that really could, um, you know, legal, obviously, protecting lots of sensitive information, industrial control. We all know what sensitivities are there. So. Uh, you know, sky's the limit. It's, you think, Justin, you think off the bat, okay, you know, you, you think about stereotypes, I guess, for better or for worse, right? You, you think of, mm -hmm. you know, a room full of, full of folks in some various Slavic nation, uh, to the best of my knowledge, statistically, you know, those, those areas are reasonably likely, you know, just, you know, for whatever reason, right? So you, you think about a room of those guys, um, what are they going to do with the proprietary manufacturing processes of a guy who makes ball bearings. I mean, seriously, though, literally, what are they going to do? I mean, you, you oh. think you think the answer is nothing, but maybe is it just is it blackmail? Is it sell it to the competitors? You know, on some underground IP market? You, you know, like like what what happens with that kind of data? You know, that kind of proprietary manufacturing process data. I, I mean, you nailed it on the head, but I would I would flip the script. I don't know that you would sell it to the competitor. I think the competitor probably hired you. Ah, okay, okay, got it. So you can get, you can get these malicious actors to go crack into, and, and this is what we hear about between the the U.S. and and um, China, for example, right? All these these notions of sort of getting getting hacked by the Chinese government in some way. They're they're obviously they have their own herd of these folks, and the goal is. Here's the information that we want for our own strategic ends. Go get it. And what you're saying is a big enough manufacturing firm might have some black hat department on the 18th floor whose job is to, you know, talk to uh, talk to Andre, you know, in, in the Ukraine and uh, get that damn data from our competitors by hook or by crook. <laughs> is that is that more common practice than one would presume? Uh, yeah, sadly, uh, you know, it's not difficult to go out on the dark web and find these people flaunting their services. Uh, it's gotten to the point now we've seen with the ransomware model that you don't even need to be technical. You can buy a ransomware package that comes with a full user interface, point and click, like many of us are used to, and deploy it. So we've gotten to a point now where I don't even need to be, you know, the the quote unquote, you know, hacker with the hoodie, you know, in the dark room, um, I can be sitting in Starbucks, you know, managing a web page, you know, and, and just watching my, my payment, which is generally in the form of, you know, Bitcoin or something, just, you know, just go through the roof. So, uh, you know, that's the other thing that's really, you know, interesting about how things have changed in the last couple of years that it's become, you know, malware as a service, you know, uh, you know because everything is a service these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So, uh, even even uh, the yeah, underground, uh, even yeah. even the underground markets follow the cool tech trends. Hey, this stuff is hip out in San Francisco. Yeah. Let's <laughs> let's totally do that with uh, you know the, this this horrendous criminal activity that we're engaged in. Anyway, for the, I, I really yeah. appreciate the color detail there, Justin. I I hope that this kind of shakes open the uh, the box of thought uh, for those who are tuned in and who are not info security guys like you to think about you know who might want what and how things are protected. Um, obviously, unsupervised learning and, and being able to detect these patterns that we never even knew would happen, clearly where the industry has to go. Obviously, that's where you guys at Dark Trace are knuckled down. That's why I'm glad that, that we had uh, gotten you on the horn. Uh, hopefully, for the people tuned in, this did not encourage you to go to the dark side now that Justin has told you how easy it is to, uh, to hack people's computers these days, but hopefully it's opened up your mind to uh, again, what might be valuable and how you might do a better job of protecting it. Justin, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.